I'm not sure whether it achieves any sort of policy purpose um, when the rules have got that hard cliff date because when you've got sort of those hard cliff dates, it, it sort of encourages people to fall very clearly on one side or the other. Where you've got something that's more prorated, then it doesn't matter so much and you can stomach the consequences and just act as you'd normally act. You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 222 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. It used to be easy. It used to be so easy. Your main residence exemption used to be independent from your residency status. So you could be a foreign resident and still qualify for the main residence exemption. But all this has changed. On the 5th of December 2019, the Senate passed the dreaded and long-fought-against law that removed the main residence exemption for anybody who's a foreign resident on the date of exchange of contracts with a short grandfathering window up to the 30th of June 2020 for properties held at budget night 2017, the 9th of May 2017. Here's Andrew Henshaw of Velocity Legal in Sydney with the details. This removal of exemption for foreign residents, it seems to cause a lot of angst. Or well, I've heard quite a few commentators being quite vocal about it. You know, yeah. I, I remember I listened to a podcast with Robin Jacobson at TaxYak mm. over the weekend, and yeah, she is one of the strong opponents of these changes, yeah, saying that it's unfair. And I think the criticism is that you basically lose the entire exemption, not just the rata for the time you're overseas, you lose the entire exemption. It's a good point. I think part of the reason that this loss of the main residence exemption has been a little controversial is mainly due to the fact that there can be some unfairness. If, if people are not properly advised and don't properly work out their circumstances, then there can be some unfairness. Uh, and, and and people like Robin have commented on this. Do you have you met Robin? Yeah. I, I oh, met really? Robin. Yeah, how do yeah. you how do you know her? I've met her at CPA events. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you also presented at CPA events? Uh, or were you an attendee? We, we attended and sponsored and um, oh, really? John from our firm has, has presented at CPA events as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, we know we know Robin, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So just to back up a little bit and, and give a bit of background about this main residence exemption and the proposed loss of the main residence exemption. This goes back a couple of years now and it's starting to get sort of a life of its own through the length of time that's passed since these rules were originally proposed. So we go back all the way to May 9, 2017, so two and a half years ago now. The government announced at budget night that they would deny the CGT main residence exemption for foreign residents and they would do that with effect from budget night. So 7.30 p.m. on May 9, 2017. So any property that's acquired after that date, the announcement was that those properties would be, if you were a non-resident, you would not get the CGT main residence exemption. And does it apply to any property that is bought after the 9th of 2017 or is it any property that is sold after nine months? May 2017. It's a bit of both. So they firstly said that 
any property acquired after that date wouldn't be exempt. And they said that if a property was acquired before that date, it would only be exempt if the property was sold by 30 June 2019. So under the, the rules announced, uh, the measures announced, they said that any property that was not sold by 30 June 2019 would be not exempt from CGT under the main residence exemption if it was sold by a non-resident. That date has has, long, has well passed. Yeah. So that was the initial proposal and it wasn't really clear what would happen if people didn't sell by that date other than, I mean, the rules said you wouldn't get the exemption, but it wasn't really clear on Whether is it a cliff parted. or is it a, is it a slope? Because with some of the other main residence exemption topics, as we've talked about in previous episodes, there's generally, you know, if you don't get the full main residence exemption, it might not be at the end of the world because you get a partial exemption and, you know, 90% of it will be exempt still. So it's not, it's, you could swallow that. When they came out with the legislation, it became clear that it was a cliff. Mm. And if like it did, all or nothing. It was, it, was, it was an all or nothing. And there was a rush for people affected by this change to sell property and, at least in the cases that I dealt with, that was people who were previously residents of Australia that previously occupied a property as their main residence. And now the property was then, now they were a non-resident and they were either continuing to treat the property as their main residence under either the absence six-year rule or the indefinite absence rule. Or it may not be exempt anymore, but they had previous periods of the property being exempt. Hmm. So it's a bit of a rush for them to sell the property by 30 June 2019. But that rush would have cost them a lot of money because June 2019, the property market was still quite in a slump. It has picked up since then, but yeah. June 2019 was still quite a slump. Yeah. So And, and having to sell in a rush mm, is yeah. never a good thing either. So they would have lost quite a bit of money just by being in a rush. Yeah, by selling. being in a rush to sell by that date because and, of the and, loss of the tax. Yeah, and tax selling exemption. in June 2019. Yeah, yeah. So they needed to enter into a contract for that date and... You may know that there's the CGT withholding rules as well now. So they actually needed to get uh, clearance certificates from the ATO and you actually needed to do an application to the ATO to say that this property is actually a main, I'm, not, I'm a non-resident of Australia, but this property is a main residence. So no CGT should be withheld, even though I'm a uh, non-resident. So those things needed to be done and contract needed to be entered into. Ah, oh, so there are withholding rules for the CGT. Yeah, there's withholding rules yeah. now if the property's worth They have withholding rules for GST. Yep. They're also withholding rules for CGT. Yep, and they apply if you cannot provide a clearance certificate. And you usually can't provide a clearance certificate if you're a non-resident, but you can actually get a variation as well. So in this case, with people who are selling before 30 June 19, they could get you could apply to the ATO, get a clearance certificate, so that mm. no withholding tax applies. Now, 30 June 19 came and went, and we had no legislation. Legislation had been entered into Parliament, but it never passed. So we had the election, the bills lapsed, and, and nothing, nothing actually went through. And during that period, there was a quite a lot of criticism of these rules being quite unfair and the, the whole cliff nature of the rules, which yeah. is the main... And people argued for a slope. Yeah, and, and to say, look, it's, it's a bit unfair because it's all or nothing. You could have owned the property for 20 years, gone overseas for a year, and then suddenly mm. you lose the exemption completely, which fairly justifiably can be fairly unfair. What we ended up getting was on, on the 23rd of October, the new bill was introduced um, Again, proposing to limit the CGT main residence exemption to for non-residents. Now, there's a few changes from what was originally proposed, but 
the main point is there's actually not a lot of changes from what's proposed and there still is a lot of the unfairness. So it's still a cliff. Yeah. So what they've said is because the legislation didn't get through before 30 June 19, we're going to give people a little bit longer. So now we've got until 30 June 2020 to sell properties and and still get the full exemption. exemption. So long as a property was acquired before 9 May 2017, you would get the full exemption. But after that date, non-residents generally will not get the exemption and there's only one exception to that. So there is one exception. So if you're a non-resident, you can still get the exemption if you've been absent from the property for less than six years, has to be less than six years, and also a life event has to happen to you. And they've introduced this concept called the life events test. And these are all fairly terrible events that you don't really would, you generally wouldn't want these events to happen to you anyway. They they involve terminal illness of you or a spouse or a child or a divorce or separation. So if you uh, have been away from the property for less than six years and you're a non-resident and you one of these events happens to you, then you can still get the main residence exemption in those circumstances. In all other scenarios, um, so if you've been overseas for more than six years or none of these terrible events happen to you, then you don't get the main residence exemption. The six-year absence rule, Mm. does that only apply to residents for tax purposes? You can only apply the absence rule if you first lived in the property. Yes, but let's let's say they lived in the property for 20 years. They then went overseas. For six years, the capital gain is still exempt Mm -hmm. under the absence rule. And then after that... We have a problem. But what you are saying is the whole thing is wiped off the table once they become a foreign resident. The whole thing is wiped off the table. There's no, in your scenario, if they'd lived in Australia for 20 years, doesn't matter. The whole thing, if you're a non-resident and you don't fit in that niche box, then you don't get the CGT main residence exemption. So to take an even more extreme example, and it could be you lived in the property for 20 years and now you move overseas for a year and you sell the property while overseas as a non-resident, then you would not get the main residence exemption at all. So that means we will see a lot more court cases where people argue that they are a resident. At the moment, all court cases is about people arguing that they're not residents. Yeah. But I think this will now mean that we get more court cases where people argue that they are a resident. Yeah, correct. We, we previously in a previous tax talk talked about residency quite a lot. And yeah, the point was that Usually people are arguing that they're a non-resident, but this is one example where it's really important to work out actually when you were a resident and when you're not. And also if you were selling a main property that was a main residence, you'd be arguing a lot more strongly that you were a resident. So you might eventually get a case where the taxpayer is arguing they're a resident of Australia and the ATO is arguing that they're not a resident of Australia because of the main residence exemption. So the, the point is with this change that's happening If the person lives in the property, goes overseas, they're a non-resident, they sell the property, it wouldn't be exempt. But if they'd moved back to Australia and resumed their residency, then the property would be exempt. In the cases of people who are well advised and know about this pitfall, then it's a lot easier to manage the potential cliff because it's a lot easier to avoid the cliff where you've got the right advice and say, hey, don't sell that property while you're a non-resident, wait until you 
come back to Australia. You don't even need to live in the property again. You just need to move back to Australia. You could own a property in, in Melbourne and move to Broome and be a not, and be a resident. The fact that you're not actually anywhere geographically near the property doesn't matter. It's just whether you're a resident of Australia for tax purposes. So if people are well advised, then more people are going to avoid that cliff. But it's the problem where you've got someone who has already entered into a contract and it's sort of too late. And that's the sort of unfair scenario where there's no recognition of prior service, essentially. But we now have until the 30th of June 2020 to, mm. for people to sort this out. Yes. And then after the 30th of June 2020, people just have to move back and establish residency here. And then everything is fine. But of course, the problem is people are elderly. They are overseas. They're in a nursing home. They're just physically not able to move back yeah. to Australia and establish their their residency. Yeah, and you're right. In some circumstances, there'll be people who cannot, for whatever circumstance, they can't actually or they don't want to move back to Australia. And those changes that were put into the bill do somewhat recognise that in that if you've been away for less than six years and you have certain bad events happening to you, they could change your plans completely. But it's not going to cover all scenarios. Yes. Yeah. The six-year rule you mentioned, yep. that has nothing to do with the six-year absence rule. It's just coincidence that both of them are six years. It has nothing to do with the rule in the sense that they're not tied at the hip, but they are policy-wise, they're sort of related to each other to some extent to say that uh, it's a convenient period of time and it makes the rules a bit simpler rather than having to mm. worry about another another time period. People know the six-year rule, as we've talked about previously, and, and you can apply it a little bit a little bit easier. If you leave Australia, you become a non-resident. Yeah. And then within six years, you have a life event. And within the six years, you also sell. Yeah. Then you can still claim the main yeah. residence exemption. Yeah. But if you have a life event within six years, but then you sell outside of the six-year period, then you don't get the exemption. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And the same, of course, also if you have the life event after six years, then you don't yeah, qualify for the carve yeah. out either. Once you get outside of six years, the only way to get it tax-free is to move back to Australia. You've got to meet both of those tests. Yes. They have also put in changes, as we talked about previously, deceased estates. They've had to make sort of consequential changes to deceased estates as well so that if you've owned a property, if you die and you're a non-resident and the property passes to your estate, there's a recognition that it may not be fully exempt from CGT as well. So it's a tricky area and it's making the main residence exemption even more complex in the, set, in the situation of non-residents. It also makes things a bit more significant on when someone is a resident or a non-resident. And it may also, people may use it as a planning opportunity as well that if they're going to go overseas, they might want to sell their property beforehand or they might want to transfer it to a family member or something like that so they can, they can potentially preserve that. I have one scenario where a client who's a husband and wife and the husband's a non-resident for tax purposes, but the wife is a resident for tax purposes. And we're actually... How does that work? Well, some, some people have unique scenarios where usually sort of home is where the heart is, but this is a bit different. But actually suggested the property be transferred from the... Husband uh, to the wife. Because the because mm. that person is, is a non-resident and they got until 30 June 2020 to, to deal with that. So, yeah, some planning opportunities there as well. What's the policy intent? Is the policy intent to collect <coughs> more tax or is the policy intent to encourage older people to sell their houses? When the government introduced these changes, they said that the policy intent was to make housing more affordable. Hint to encourage sales. Well, I'm not sure whether it's to encourage sales. I mean, 
maybe that was a stated policy intention, but I think it was to, if I'm being honest, I think it was just to close down a way of getting a property exempt and, and limiting the main residence exemption to increase tax revenue. Because I can't see, I mean, you can think of those examples, those extreme examples where someone goes away, they just need to come back to Australia, they don't have to live in the property again, you still get the exemption. It's hard to reconcile those sort of situations with that stated policy intention. Yes. The only way to make property more affordable is to encourage sales, hence have more supply yeah. that yeah. drives down prices. That's correct, yeah. yeah. So maybe it will encourage people to sell more where you've got people going overseas, potentially, or it could just encourage them not to sell it when they're a non-resident and hold it for even longer because they want to come back to Australia. So you could actually have the opposite effect. If, been, if you were to say that the intention was to encourage sales, if I'm leaving to go overseas, I might not want to, maybe previously I would have sold my property, but, but now, now you can't. maybe I don't want to sell my property because it won't be exempt. So, I mean, I might know that so in 10 years time I'm going to come back to Australia. Back. Yeah. Then in that case, it doesn't encourage sales at all. It actually encourages people to, to hold, hold the property for longer. So I'm not sure whether it achieves any sort of policy purpose when the rules, I've got that hard cliff date, because when you've got sort of those hard cliff dates, it sort of encourages people to fall very clearly on one side or the other, where you've got something that's more prorated, then it doesn't matter so much and you can stomach the consequences and just act as you'd normally act. But yeah, that's just my just my thoughts on it. It would be interesting to know whether the ATO has data that lots of properties stand empty where the owners are living overseas. I would say that they'd be able to get that data pretty quick, pretty easily, because if there's not any schedule returned for that for that property on the on the income and on the mm-hmm. property, then they'll be able to be able to know that it applied in that way. Maybe the issue is apartments. How there are a lot of apartments that are owned by overseas mm. owners. Yeah, and so maybe they stand empty to park money and keep yeah. money away from scrutinizing eyes. That's true. Back home, and so. Mm. maybe it's aiming at those yeah at potentially yeah i mean the only thing is in order to apply the main residence exemption you need to live in the property first so if people were truly sort of foreign investors who, who didn't actually live here then they would never be able to get the main residence exemption anyway it's only this change really affects people who were who are largely australian so citizens, for example we're an overseas who, student who here expats. yeah yeah well you could have an overseas student that's right yeah that could be an example we've You've got someone, but I think for the most part, these changes mainly affect sort of Australian expats, people who have purchased property, lived in it, and they've gone overseas for some reason. Welcome back. So it all depends on your residency status on the day you sign the contract. You are a resident if you pass the reside test, which is basically case law. If you pass the reside test, the domicile test, the 183-day test, or the obscure Commonwealth test, if you pass one of these four tests, you are a resident, and you are a non-resident slash foreign resident when you don't pass any of these tests. And as you know, the reside and domicile tests are really hazy. (laughs) There is no clear black or white and yes or no. They are hazy and very confusing and a nightmare to deal with but that is a topic in itself let's put that aside let's assume that your residency is a clear yes or no so on the day you sign the contract you step in front of two doors imagine those side by side 
One is green with a large sign that says main residency exemption, yes. And the other one is red and says in <laughs> big letters, no exemption. Very black and white, or to be more precise, very green and red, yes or no. If you are a resident, you go through the green door, the yes door, and voila, behind the green door, there is the main residency exemption waiting for you for the time you lived in the house. But what about the time you are away? That depends on what happens to the house while you are away, whether you rent it out or you don't. Anytime you leave it empty, so not producing income, the indefinite absence rule kicks in and you can continue to treat the property as your main residence. No CGT for the time it is empty. Anytime you rent it out, the six-year absence rule kicks in and you can continue to treat the property as your main residence for another six years. If you rent it out for longer, you don't get the exemption for the additional years, but, and this is important, you don't lose the exemption you earned so far. So this is all yours if you are a resident at the time of sale. But if you are a foreign resident on the day you sell, you go through the red door, the no door, and there is nothing behind that door. No main residence exemption, no indefinite absence rule, and certainly no six-year absence rule. You are an excluded foreign resident. You pay CGT on the full capital gain, no matter how long you lived in the house before you left. <laughs> there is, yes, there is some grandfathering for people who sell before the 30th of June 2020, but let's put that aside for now, because I'm worried that these grandfathering routes might confuse you. So let's just assume that it's the 1st of July 2020 and the grandfathering rules are done and dusted and now there's just this one rule that if you are a foreign resident, then you don't get any main residence exemption. But there is one exception and this exception is called the six-year life event rule. If within the first six years of leaving, a life event happens to you or your spouse and a life event is terminal illness, death, divorce, losing a child, really bad things. If one of those life events happens to you during the first six years after you become a foreign resident and you sell during those six years, then you turn around, <laughs> you go back out of the red door and you go through the green door and you get everything back main residence exemption, six-year absence rule, and the indefinite absence rule. You get everything back that you would have had if you were a resident. But you can't plan a life event. You definitely don't want a life event happening to you. So the moral of the story is, when you plan to move overseas to become a foreign resident, either sell before you go or wait with selling until you come back. But now let's look at estates. What happens when a main resident goes into an estate? The same rules apply. It all depends on the residency status of the deceased at the time of death. If they are resident at the time of death, the estate goes through the green door. If they are an excluded foreign resident on the day they die, they go through the red door. And if the deceased passes the six-year life event rule, maybe their death is the life event. If they pass the six-year life event rule, then the estate goes back through the green door. So that was the main residence exemption for foreign residents. In a few weeks, 
Andrew will talk about the New South Wales landholder provisions. I don't know how complex the landholder provisions are. Are uh, they quite complex? They are quite complex. I think we can go okay. through them next time. I can yeah. send you a bit of a summary beforehand. Like essentially because transfer duty applies when you transfer property, right? And these rules look at when you're transferring shares or units in companies or trusts that actually own property. Landrich, I think. Yeah, la a... like it used to be called Landrich. Now it's called Landholder. Provisions. Yeah, but they're pretty complex provisions. So happy to go through those at, a, at another time because... We've only got 13 minutes left and yeah. definitely wouldn't be able to go through it in that yes. amount of time. Yeah, yeah but they're interesting rules and quite complex and messy. And the, each state in Australia has similar rules. Victoria's got similar rules and so does Queensland. So general application. And we, I think we now adjusted the New South Wales rules to be more similar to Victoria. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There have been some changes recently to um, make them a bit more stringent as well. So. so that will come your way in a few weeks. In the next episode, episode 223, Cathy Evans of Findex will share insights with you about the LRBA safe harbor rules. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. Bye.